0: Let's pray together, church. Oh, how we love your law. We meditate it, meditate upon it all day long. Your commands make us wise, wiser than our enemies, for they are ever with us. We have more insight than all our teachers. For we meditate upon your statutes. We have more understanding than all the elders. For we obey your precepts. Father we praise you. For your word. Your living word. Living because he rose from the dead. A word that spoke in the beginning. That was with God in the beginning. And was God in the beginning. From before time was, you were God. And Father, you have given us your written word, that we might know you as you have revealed yourself to be, so that through faith in Christ, we might have hope in this life and into eternity, that we might share in the life that you are. Father, I praise You that You are the Word, the living Word. And Father, I call to You now, come quickly to me. Hear my voice as I call to You. May my prayer and these prayers of Your people be set before You like incense. May the lifting up of our hands be like the evening sacrifice. Father, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips so that the words that we hear together this day would be yours. Father, would you let us use this time to bring You glory, would You remove from our minds those things that distract? Would You remove from our hearts our sin that blinds and remove from our eyes the scales of doubt so that we might see together in Your Word wonderful things. For your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, he is risen. He is risen and you got to help me out again. He is risen. He is risen, he is risen indeed. When an angel sits his bottom on a rock to show the disdain for death displayed by our God, how great is our God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Emmanuel is the bride of Christ. His church, living in the 21st century, we are the beneficiaries of a rich, rich heritage of belief. Standing in the wake of the Protestant Reformation and in the Baptist tradition, it is easy for us today to take as normative the view that God is three in one, that the Father is the creator of all that is, Christ is fully God and fully man. The Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, and all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are consubstantially, co-eternally God. It is easy for us to assume that we all know God to be triune, and that we're saved by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as evangelicals, it's easy for us today to speak about the scriptures as God's inerrant word. The gospel is God's saving message of his love fully demonstrated for us as he sent his only son to die on a cross, that whoever believes in Jesus might not perish but would have eternal life. It's easy for us to assume that we know what we're talking about when we throw out terms like grace and gospel and resurrection. And I believe it's even easy for us to assume that when I say God and when you say God, that we're speaking about the same divine being. But friends, this wasn't always the case. As I said, we are the beneficiaries of a rich, rich heritage of belief that flows through the church's history, which was formed through controversy. As Christians sought to rightly articulate their faith, they often found themselves embroiled in in bitter debates. And so in June of year 325 A.D., many, many years ago, June 325 A.D., there was an ecumenical council. That was a, a meeting called, convened by Emperor Constantine in which church leaders from all over the world descended on Nicaea it was a town located in modern Turkey, and they're gathered to address the confusion regarding God's revealed identity, particularly as it pertained to Jesus. And at this meeting, a number of beliefs were discussed, with the conclusion being drawn that God is triune, God is Trinity, and that Christ is fully God and fully man. And to assist the churches then in understanding all that was settled in Nicaea, the council developed a confession or creed, a statement to articulate how the church is to rightly think about God in himself. And this confession that's come to be known as the Nicene Confession carefully explains God's character as it is revealed to us in Scripture. And you have a copy of that in your bulletins. If you'd like to follow along, I'd like to read it for us this morning. It reads this way. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven And earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom Will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Church, this statement of belief was re-examined some 50 years after it was first written when the churches once again met in Constantinople in 386. And then again it was re- re-established, re-examined in 451 when the churches once again met in Chalcedon. And since then, so that's the middle of the 5th century, the 400s, Orthodox Christianity has adhered to the expressions formulated during those debates as the manner in which we are to rightly conceive or to speak about God as He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures. Now, unfortunately, as rich as is our heritage, I fear that there are many in our nation and churches across our nation who have no idea how we came to be Trinitarian or how we're to understand the Trinity or honestly, why it even matters. It isn't a word that we find in the Scriptures anyway. So does it? Does it matter? In church, the answer is yes, absolutely. Because while doctrines are by very nature intellectual concepts, they are concepts which declare what the church believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of the Word of God. The doctrine of the Trinity isn't simply an intellectual formulation. It is a way of proclaiming the reality of God as He comes to be known in Christ and through the Scriptures. And so does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Absolutely, it matters. And I'd like us to see why today, by examining the event that we've all gathered to celebrate, Christ's resurrection. And so would you open your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, if you don't, there's some in the pew there in front of you. But would you open your Bible with me to the first text that we're going to read, which is found in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And just so you'll be prepared, we're going to be moving around the New Testament a little this morning. It's not what we typically do, but this morning we will, so just be ready. There will be a couple Old Testament references that I'll, I'll offer, and you can look those up later. But for right now, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, in our Bible's New Testament, chapter 10, Romans 10, where we're going to read just two verses together in order to make one point, which is this, that the Father raised Christ from the dead. The Father raised Christ from the dead. So Romans, beginning with verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, but what does it say? That's the Scriptures. What does it say? The Word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So church, here in chapter 10, Paul's addressing his desire to see his fellow Jews come to faith in Christ. Grieved by their obdurate hearts, the apostle apostle points out how Jesus fulfilled the law. Christ did what no other human being could. He lived a perfect life in obedience with God's laws. And so now, whoever believes in Him will not die for their sin because Christ's death is as their death. They've shared, if you will, in Christ's death. The sentence they merited because of sin has been paid, finally, ultimately, by Christ. And not only has Christ died in their place, but He's risen from the dead. And now, they share in His victory. And friends, isn't this good news? That if we confess Christ as Lord and we believe that God raised Him from the dead, that we will be saved. This is gospel, church. This is gospel. This is what every single person on our planet is chasing. Salvation. Now, it may not be how we all articulate what we're pursuing, but don't think for a moment that human existence is defined by any other purpose. We all desperately desire to be saved, don't we? So what are you pursuing this morning for your salvation? Is it success, popularity, money? What are you pursuing? Because here Paul tells us unequivocally where to find it, the answer. Belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a resurrection brought about by whom? God. And that's and God the Father because this reference was attributed to the Father as opposed to To the Son and the Spirit. In the beginning it was God, the Father, who created the heavens and the earth. It was God who called Abram to go to the land that he would reveal. It was God who spoke to Moses and who gave the people of Israel his laws, which if obeyed perfectly would guarantee life in his presence. It was God who then provided his people, fallen people, with a sacrificial system to cover their failures to keep his law. And it was God who promised to send the ultimate sacrifice, his Son the Messiah, to save his people from their sins. It was God the Father who poured out his wrath justly on Christ as he hung on the cross, and it was the Father who accepted Christ's sacrifice and raised him from the dead, so that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. Church, that's the gospel in a nutshell. The very event we are gathered to celebrate today, Christ's resurrection is the link pin of the Christian faith, because, as Paul told the church in Corinth during his first letter, chapter 15, beginning with verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. and if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and mine may be up for debate. that's for you to decide. but so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. that's the Father, God the Father, for if the dead aren't raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If only for this life, we who are gathered here today, if only for this life, we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. Amen? Church, amen. God the Father raised Christ from the dead. An act without which we'd be left without hope for eternity the father raised christ from the dead and according to the scriptures jesus raised himself from the dead jesus raised himself from the dead so turn with me now in your bibles to our second text it's found in john's gospel chapter 2 matthew mark luke john the fourth book in our bibles new testament john's gospel chapter 2 we just looked at romans 10:8 in support of the father raising christ and we referenced 1 corinthians 15:15 15, 15, and there are a host of other texts that we could have looked at in support of this point, the very first point we made, like Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Hebrews 13, 19, or 20 and 21, as well as 2 Corinthians four fourteen. so a host of other texts in support of the Father's raising Christ. But now let's read together John chapter 2, and verse 19. John 2, verse 19, reads this way, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again, In three days. Destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. In this text. As many of you probably recall. John is recounting Christ's clearing of the temple. Took place earlier in our chronology of the Holy Week. It was about the time of the Passover. And Jesus had gone to Jerusalem. And as he walked into the temple courts. He found men selling animals as sacrifices. As well as exchanging money. And he, he was infuriated. And he made a whip out of cords. And he drove the men out. Declaring how dare you turn my father's house into a what? Into a market. That's right. Right? And the Jews were indignant with Jesus. And they demanded he give them evidence for his authority to perform these actions. To which Christ made the statement that we just read. Now, if you recall, Jesus' original audience mistook his words as referring literally to the temple. To the facility in which they were standing when he, made those, when he made those claims. However, John tells us later on in that same chapter, verse 21, that the temple Jesus had spoken of was his body, and that after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And so here we see Jesus is speaking of his resurrection, and he's declaring that he would raise himself. Now he makes the same claim in chapter 10, still in John's gospel. And So flip over just a few, few books or chapters rather, forwards. Flip forward with me and find John chapter 10 and verse 17. John chapter 10 and verse 17. John 10 contains uh, two of Jesus' most famous I am statements. In John 10 verse 9, he declares, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then verse 11, he states, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And both of these statements set up the verses that we're going to be reading as they establish that Christ is the only way to the Father, the gate. He's not a gate. He's the gate, and he's come to give life, his life, to save his sheep. And so with these two truths in mind, look at verse 17, where Jesus says this. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father." So Christ's death, which we commemorated this past Friday, wasn't forced. It wasn't imposed on Jesus against His will. For as we know from His garden prayers, our Savior wrestled with the reality of His pending suffering for our sin. He submitted, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus willingly laid down His life for me and for you. He suffered unimaginable pain, psychologically, physically, emotionally. Christ fulfilled the purpose of, for which he was sent, that we may have life in him. He laid down his life for sinners, and then he took it up again. Hallelujah. He took it up again. Now, I don't know about you. I get emotional, and I get excited when I think about the resurrection. I get excited when I think about Christ's victory over death and the power that he possesses. And as for sake of full disclosure, I have no, I have no idea how he did it. So if you came this morning hoping for an insight, I don't have one for you. I don't get how Christ could die completely, dead three days worth, and then raise himself, but I believe it. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He couldn't be the truth if he was telling lies. He couldn't be the life if he was dead. And he couldn't be the way if he didn't know the destination. And in John 14, 9, he declared, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Church, the scriptures reveal that in the most important event in all of history, the moment when the creator of the universe, who'd come and lived among his creation like them in every way, and yet without sin, in the pivotal point in creation's story, when the creator died for his creation, the Father was present and active as he raised Jesus from the dead. The Son was present and active As he raised himself from the dead. And the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit raised Christ from the dead. Would you find with me now Romans chapter 8. We're going back to Romans. Chapter 8 and verse 11. Romans 8, Because here the Apostle Paul is shifting his focus from discussing the futility of flesh-based works. In other words, the fact that we as men and women are incapable of living in obedience to God in our own strength. We are weak. He's strong. We are foolish. He is wisdom. We're inconsistent. He's unchanging. He's immutable. We have have no hope. But what hope do we have? Thanks be to God, Paul says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our hope and our salvation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, that's, that's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. God's Spirit brings us to life just as He did Christ. And so now, let's read Paul's words to that effect. It's recorded in verse 11. Romans eight eleven. Paul says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit lives in you and so what i believe paul is saying here is that god's spirit the father's spirit which is also christ's spirit the holy spirit which raised jesus from the dead lives in we who are christ's disciples in john 14 jesus prays asking that the father will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth so the holy spirit is from the father but in luke 24 jesus promises to send what the father has promised who is the Holy Spirit. Further, in John 16, 7, Jesus informs his disciples that, I tell you, it's the truth. It's it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this spirit's role is to bring glory to Christ by taking what is his and making it known to us. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and was at work in the resurrection. And I believe we see this truth once again in Colossians, in chapter 2 and verse 12. And you don't need to turn there, but I'd like to read for you Colossians 2.12, where Paul says this, Having been buried with him, and that's Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead, in the power of God. Here Paul is speaking indirectly about the Holy Spirit as the power of God. And there are numerous places in the scriptures where, where the Spirit is described in this way. It's just one as a case point. Micah chapter 3 and verse 8 in the Old Testament where the prophet declares, but as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of God. And then again in Acts in the New Testament, chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus promises, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so what I believe we see here in in Colossians 2.12 is this further reference to the Holy Spirit's work in raising Christ from the dead. And friends, again, I don't know about you, but this excites me, just as I believe it excited the writers of Scripture. Why? Because if this is true, then it means that that same Spirit who worked in power to raise Christ from the dead now lives in us, we who are God's children. So what do we have to fear from sickness if God's Spirit that raises the dead dwells in us? What do we have to fear from discomfort or danger or discouragement? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so friends, as we consider the purpose for our gathering today, the event that our calendars note as Easter, I hope and pray that you know it has nothing to do with eggs and bunnies. It has nothing to do with flowers and candy, no matter what billboards around our city might tell you. It has nothing to do with empty ecclesial ritual and lifeless cultural tradition. Rather, it has everything to do with determining reality, defining what is real. For in the resurrection, we see God as He is in His being. Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct in their roles and yet indistinguishable in their essence, such that to speak of the Father is to speak of the Son and the Spirit. However, the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. They're three in one. Can we fully comprehend this? I can't. I don't know about you. But is this God as he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures? I believe absolutely yes. The resurrection, like the creation and the incarnation, is a Trinitarian moment in human history in which the creator of all that is, reality as we perceive it, pulled back the curtain, so to speak, in order that we, his creation, might know him as he is, he who is true reality. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Divine Spirit who has no beginning or end, the great I Am. And as we consider this revelation, for that's what it is, God's triune nature revealed in the event of the resurrection, what's clear is that humanity didn't conceive this. People didn't begin with what was around them, examining the world as they could experience it, and thereby draw conclusions about how God might be in himself. In other words, people didn't couldn't, can't come to know God through the power of human reason. Because the human mind is incapable of projecting true reality. All that we do is live within the constructs of our fallen world. And no matter how you choose to conceive it, a place with unimaginable potential, hidden, deep, but potential, or a pile of just decadence and decay, however you choose to conceive it, we cannot find peace or uncover what our hearts crave ultimately crave because we are blind and broken. We are all born bound for death, but we're all desperate for life, aren't we? Death's reality stands in stark contrast to the very thing that defines us as human beings, which is life. And this is why I think that even the most hardened atheist would admit that life's purpose must have some significance. It's got to beyond the grave. In his biography of Steve Jobs' Walter Isaacson shares a story of how the man whose technology formatively shaped our 21st century received news that his cancer was terminal. And in meeting with Jobs in his garden's home, or his home's garden, Isaacson described how Jobs processed this news, and he spoke wistfully about what might be out there beyond his life's end. There's a man who wasn't religious, to my knowledge, who had everything that our world associates a value And facing death, he expressed a wish, even if it was only for a moment, there's got to be something else out there. There's got to be something more to reality. And friends, there is. God is. We were made in his image, which is why we each and every one yearn for that which is not fully present in our reality. The patristic Father Augustine memorably expressed it in this way. To praise you is people's desire. A little piece of your creation. You stir people to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. So we've seen together I hope and pray that the resurrection is a Trinitarian event reflecting God as He is. But so, so what? I said at the beginning, I believe that there are many in our nation and in the churches found therein who, who may even acknowledge God as Trinity, but for whom this reality has little, if any, practical relevance to their lives. God is a Trinity, so what? So what? And so as we close, I'd like to offer just three brief points of application one as regards the Father. One for the Son and one for the Holy Spirit. Three points, Trinitarian application for us this morning as believers. So we might see the significance of this doctrine for us as God's people. And so, regarding God the Father, as the source for all, as the source for all, He's to be served as the object of all. As the source for all, He's to be served as the object of all. And as one theologian explains this, the Father is the one to whom we respond with love, with prayers, worship, and adoration. We also worship the Son and the Holy Spirit, but because even the, the Son and the Spirit give glory to the Father and share in His glory, thus we worship the three in one with an understanding that the Father is the ultimate object of all. As the source for all, we worship the Father who is the object of all. Regarding the Son, second, we look to Jesus to bring us into fellowship or favor with God, because it's only through Christ that we can come to know God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the gate. I am the only way that you can come to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus told us that if you've seen me, You've seen the father. Christ is the nexus, if you will, the the point of contact of the divine and the human. And therefore, if we desire to live in a way that pleases God, then we must do so through faith in Jesus, looking to him who said, if you love me, then you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll obey me. And so in regards to the father as the source for all, he's to be served as the object of all. Regarding the Son, we look to Christ to bring us into fellowship and favor with God. And then, regarding the Spirit, we expect the Spirit to instruct our decisions through the Scriptures. We expect the Holy Spirit to instruct our decisions for life through the Scriptures because it's, it's the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, as Paul says, a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance into eternal life. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the truths of Scripture which He inspired and opens our eyes illuminates our hearts to see and then to practice them, to live them out. The Holy Spirit never adds any words to the Scriptures, but always works through those already revealed to bring us into greater conformity to our identity in God the Son, to the glory of God the Father. And so church, I pray today that God has revealed Himself through His Word to us as He is in Himself. Our God is three in one. And this is huge, friends, this is huge, because we can't know God unless we know Him as He is. And this means that we can't have hope for eternity unless we understand that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And over the years, there have been many, even some of those most recognized as leaders in our nation, there have been many who have spoken of God, but they have denied the Trinity. And what's frightening about this heresy is what Jesus said to those who held this view. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus' listeners called Abraham their father. They pointed to Yahweh as their God. In other words, they not only spoke of God, but they even meant the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet Jesus said to those, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and am now here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Church, I pray that God the Spirit has enabled someone here today to hear God the Son declare himself in power through his resurrection to be God, our Redeemer, and the only way by his grace through faith that we may be made right with God the Father. And we're going to stand now as we close our service. We're going to sing to our God who is three in one. And as we do, I'd like to invite anybody that has questions, Anybody that's uncertain, anybody who wants to continue to talk with me about this gospel and our God who is three in one to come down front. But I want us to to stand and sing and close our service in worship to our God who is three in one who raised Jesus from the dead. So would you stand with me as we close our service and sing? Come thou almighty king.